Turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 14 this morning. Exodus chapter number 14. What a blessing to be here today. I'm so thankful that you're here. I trust that you're not here by accident. You're here by providence. Amen. And uh, I trust that God has a purpose in your heart and in your life and for our church and you being here today. And so I'm honored that you're here. Trust that the Lord will get glory out of what is done today. Exodus chapter 14. Now, we're going to read a little bit of scripture this morning from verse 8 down to verse 31. Uh, but I want us to get the whole scope of what's taking place here. Uh, we won't use all of it, but we'll use most of it in the preaching this morning. Uh, Exodus chapter 14, verse number 8. The Bible says, And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with an high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamping by the sea beside Pi-Hahiroth before Beelzephon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forth. But lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. And I will get me honor upon Pharaoh, and upon all his hosts, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. The angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all the night. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen, and it came to pass that in the morning watch the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels that they drave them heavily so that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots 
and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, there remained not so much as one of them. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and His servant Moses. Let's pray together. Father, we love You this morning. Thank You for letting us be in Your house. Thank You for the truth of Thy Word, Lord. And thank You that You can take those two things, Your people and Your Word, and combine them, place them together, and do an eternal work in our midst. I pray that the sweet Holy Ghost would have liberty this morning to work in people's hearts and to point people towards Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that if our eyes, our focus is fixed upon Him, that our life will be better, our Christian testimony will be better. Lord, the peace that that reigns and passeth all understanding will live and reign in our hearts. Lord, we know that if we can get our eyes on Him, we'll be the better for it. So I pray that You'd help us now to have the right spirit and attitude, and may You do a work that glorifies You. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I've been thinking about the children of Israel on this journey through the Red Sea. And you know, sometimes when I read the Word of God, I try to make it an exercise, it's the only exercise I get, to uh, place myself in the position of the people in God's Word. I try to sort of imagine what it would be like to be those individuals. Whenever they come to the Red Sea, the Egyptians are pressing down hard behind them. Their oppressors, their enemy, their foe is getting ready to drag them back to bondage and to slavery. And the Red Sea, an uncrossable barrier is set before them. They are at what we call a crisis moment. Something must be done. Once you know, just at the moment that something must be done, God shows up and does something. You know, often we want Him to do something before it has to be done, but sometimes God makes us wait till it has to be done just so that we'll trust Him all the more. And so He commands the children of Israel that they are to go forward. He tells Moses that he's to stretch out his rod over the Red Sea and part the Red Sea that they would go on dry ground across that vast expanse. And you know, this was not just a casual, passing, momentary experience. I've tried to do the math, but I, I don't have that many toes to count it all up. So, But I've tried to do a little math about what this scene would have looked like. Most conservative estimates of the population of the Israelites at this time puts them somewhere north of two and a half million people when they left out of Egypt. And uh, if you were to try to space that out, of course we don't know, we don't know how wide the uh, path was that was laid for them, but just as a for instance, if they marched a hundred people wide, uh, then uh, that line, if you allowed for a couple feet in front and back so that they wouldn't be tripping on each other, would be something like 20 miles long. This is not just a short march across a, a little dry patch. This is not just jumping across a puddle. It would have taken hours upon hours upon hours when this scene unfolds. It's the dead of night. By the time it is finished and God smites the Egyptians, it is the morning watch. It literally would have been this mass of people. It makes me think when you look at those migrant caravans and, and it's just a large, vast uh, swath of people. It would have been millions of people marching through the Red Sea on this journey. On the right hand, on the left hand, there is what the Bible describes as a wall of water. Uh, we don't know how high that would have been, but the Red Sea is not a shallow body of water. And you can imagine basic laws of physics would suggest that for a space that big uh, to be provided, that wall would have had to piled up, I mean, really high. 
And I can't describe everything about what it looks like. I guess when we get to heaven, we'll watch the instant replay. But but just trying to use the mind's imagination. Can you imagine just for a moment being somebody in the middle of that group? You can't see the last pit of shore behind you. You can't see the first bit of shore in front of you. You look to the right and all you see is a tower of water ready to crush you and drown you. You look on the left, it looks exactly the same. And here you are, son, right in the middle of all of it. What are you going to do? I thought about God's instructions that were given to them. You know, God only gave one commandment to them for this season in their life. You know, sometimes, and I understand there's some 600 odd commandments in the Old Testament. If you take the New Testament truths that are delivered to us, there's thousands of commandments that the Word of God gives us. But sometimes God gives you a word for a season. Sometimes you're going through something and it ain't, it ain't that you don't need all that theology. You need it like I need it, like we all need it. But sometimes, man, you just don't have the, the head space, the bandwidth. And God's awful gracious. Sometimes He'll just give us a word, just a commandment, just a testimony, just a marching order. And what was it for these people? They probably did not need to have a uh, full, uh, you know, conversation about the theological nuances of various facets of biblical. They just needed to know something that's going to get them from one side to the other side. And what was it that God told them? He gave them one command in verse number 15. The Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore Christ thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel. And this is what he said. He said, Go forward. Go forward. I want to preach to you on this thought this morning. Man, think about being those people right out in the middle of all of it. You have one command, and here's what it is. Just keep walking. Don't give up. Don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. Don't worry about what's behind. Don't worry about what's in front. Just keep walking and going in the right direction. You know, sometimes you'll have seasons in your life that will be like this. You'll be hemmed in on one side or the other. You'll have the enemy pressing down behind. You'll have an uncertain future ahead. And you have one simple command from God. Don't give up. Don't turn back. Don't worry about anything else. Just keep serving God. Keep doing right. Just keep walking with the Lord. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. was famously quoted as saying this, Do right if the stars fall. Sometimes, man, I'm just poor, simple country boy. I mean, I, sometimes I can't process a lot of things. But if God gives me this clear command, whatever I do, don't lay down and don't give up. I think I can handle that. Sometimes the command is just keep walking. Now, I thought about this. You think about their circumstance there. What could have prevented them from going forward? Before we even get into the real body of the message, we find three things just sort of almost mentioned casually that were trying to pull them away to get them to quit, to get them to turn back, to get them to stop doing what God commanded them. Look at verse number 10 with me. The Bible says, When Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out, Unto the Lord. What could have prevented them from going forward? Number one, their enemy could have prevented them. In other words, they could have been stopped by their foe. As they're trying to go forward, uh, make no mistake about it, there is a malicious personality that is pursuing them, that is dogging them, that wants nothing more than to stop their forward march and drag them back to the bondage that they used to be in. You know, that's the exact same truth to us today. The Bible says we have an adversary. 
Now, what is an adversary? He's someone that wants to uh, produce an adverse effect on your goals and stated attention. Uh, You're going a certain direction. He wants to keep you from going that direction. The Bible says we have an adversary, the devil. And if we allow him to, the devil would love nothing more. He knows he can't send you to hell, but he sure enough can keep you from walking with God. And if he can't stop you from going to heaven, he can at least stop you from going uh, to a productive relationship with Christ. He'll do everything he can, try to drag you back and keep you your enemy if you allow him to. He desires to do so. Uh, listen, don't think, don't, don't yield to this false humility that suggests that the devil has no interest in you because you're not important enough. You're a child of God. That makes you important enough that your business, the devil considers it his business, and he wants to stop you from serving God. Their enemy could have stopped them. Then look at verse 11. The Bible says they said unto Moses, <laughs> I thought about this when I was reading it. I thought this may this may have just been the first uh, Baptist pastor church member conversation that has ever happened. They said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us, thus with us, to carry us forth out of Egypt? In other words, here's what they said. They turned and looked at Moses and said, You're crazy. You brought us out here and nothing lays in front of us but death. You know the funny thing about it? They were wrong. Death was not laying on the other side of the Red Sea. Life was lying at the other side of the Red Sea. The the words they were speaking were not true. They didn't come from God. They didn't come from reality because they were not true. So where did they come from? I'd say this, uh, the enemy can stop us, but their anxiety was trying to stop them. In other words, they could be stopped by their foe, but they could also be stopped by their fears. Uh, They didn't know what was laying on the other side of that. They just had to trust God. One of the things I find fascinating, this is one of the few instances in the Word of God where God goes out from in front of His people, goes behind His people, and tells them to march on in faith. You know, we always want to be able to look up and see Him right there in front of us like the Good Shepherd, but sometimes He's separating those foes behind us and He says, go on in the direction that I have set you upon. Sometimes, here's what I'm saying, sometimes this thing is a faith thing. In fact, I'd say this, all the time this thing is a faith thing. We walk by faith and not by sight. He said, keep your eyes forward and keep marching. Why? Because he understood that if they yielded to their fears and anxieties, they would not go forward in this march. And by the way, they were in far more danger in the middle of that dry ground. They were in the most danger in the, uh, amongst the Egyptians. They were in the next most danger in the middle of the dry ground. The only way they could get to safety was by marching forward. We think sometimes, because we're scared of what the future may hold, We think sometimes if we just stop, knuckle down, buckle down, and give up on God, that somehow we're helping ourselves. That's not a safe place to be. Hey, the safest place in the world you can be is right in the heart and center of the will of God, doing what God commands you to do. But they allowed or would have allowed their fears to stop them. And there's a certain element of the unknown always in stepping out in faith. That's why it must be by faith. Then look at verse 12. They said this, Is not this the word uh, that we did tell thee in Egypt? This is uh, Elizabethan English for I told you so. That's what that is. Uh, And your wife won't think it's funny if you say it that way any more than if you say it the regular way. Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? Notice what they said. For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Here we have the first occasion of them murmuring against this plan to leave Egypt. They would go on to repeat this throughout their time in the wilderness. And as time uh, proceeded on, as it progressed, 
And as they became more carnal and discontented in their, in their uh, desires and perspective, there would be a focus that would shift merely from safety to the pleasures and, uh, and, and appetites of Egypt. They would go on to say in Exodus chapter 16 verse 3, they said unto Moses and Aaron, would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and we did, when we did eat bread to the full. Say, preacher, what could have stopped them? Well, their enemy could have prevented them. They could have been stopped by their foe. Their anxiety could have prevented them. They could have been stopped by their fears. But I'd say their memories could have stopped them. Well, maybe we can say it this way. They could have been stopped by their flesh. They said, boy, wasn't it good being back in Egypt? Aren't people ignorant? Aren't we ignorant? I mean, of all the things to say, I mean, they just left Egypt, right? The blood is not yet dried on the lintel posts from the Passover land. And they're saying, boy, we had it good back in Egypt. How ignorant that is. But you know, that's how the flesh is. The flesh, the new man and the old man do not understand one another. And until you understand that they will not understand one another, you're going to be as confused as a termite in the yo-yo. Until you recognize that what makes sense to your flesh does not make sense to that new man that saved man, that regenerated man that lives within you. And until you understand that what makes sense to him does not make sense to your flesh, you're going to live a confused Christian life. As they thought back to their time in Egypt, here's what they said, we had it better then. And you know, sometimes we don't give God time to finish His work. Let me say that again, man. Sometimes we don't give God time to finish. Hey, uh, James said, let patience have her perfect work. That tells me this, and that word perfect does not necessarily mean morally stainless, although certainly in that context it would imply it, but it's talking about a finished work, right? We put the popcorn in the microwave, we'll pull it out after one or two kernels is popped. And then complain on God that the popcorn ain't better. Let patience have her perfect work. In other words, let God finish what He's doing in your life. Instead, they, they draw up halfway between and they say, we would have been better off to stay in Egypt. Your flesh will always romanticize and idealize the old life that you used to live in. Your flesh will make you uh, remember every buzz and forget every hangover. Your flesh will make you remember every good time and forget every bad time. Uh, It will lie to you, it will deceive you, and it will try to tell you that you were better off in the bondage of Egypt than you are in the beloved hands of an almighty God. So I'm saying this, there's some things pulling out. There's some things trying to stop them. And if they allow themselves, they would have stopped. And I don't believe God would have held that sea back forever. If they had stopped there, sooner or later, He would have said, all right, Moses, let her go. And they would have perished just like the Egyptians if they had stopped in that place. So what do they do? They just keep walking. Why should we just keep walking? And in case you've not got it yet, here's what I'm saying. Just keep serving God. Just keep doing right. Just keep reading your Bible. Just keep praying. Just keep going to church. Just keep loving sinners. Just keep sharing the gospel. I know it gets discouraging sometimes. I know sometimes we feel like we're in a crisis moment in our life. Sometimes the devil's been beating up on us and wrenching on us. And sometimes we say, preacher, I don't know what to do. Let's make it real simple. Here's what you do. Go forward. Just keep walking. Don't give up. You don't have to understand everything. Just keep serving God. You don't have to have an answer to everything. Just keep serving God. Why should they have kept walking no matter what? I want to give you a few thoughts. Look with me at verse number 16. I like what God says here to Moses. He says, But lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. 
This is the first time that they have been introduced to God's plan. They're walking up to this Red Sea and they have no clue what God's about to do. They don't know that God... We know that God divides the Red Sea. We learned it when we were children in Sunday school. But they don't know this. They're walking up to the Red Sea. The Egyptians are pressing down hard behind them. They don't know what to do. They don't know where they're going. They don't know what's going to happen. And then God speaks and tells Moses, here's what you do, Moses. Stretch out that rod and part that Red Sea. I'm going to be honest with you. If I had been there and you had said, guess God's plan. If I had a million guesses, I wouldn't have guessed that. I mean, I I would have said, well, God's going to drop boats out of heaven. (laughs) I would have said, God's God's going to send big fish to carry. I don't know. But if you had said, no, God is going to divide this entire sea, I would have never guessed that. But that was God's plan. You know why you just need to keep walking? You need to keep walking because of the plan of God. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Well, notice first off the presence of His plan. You know what they learned in this moment? God has a plan. It is amazing how many times in our life that we doubt whether God has a plan. I think because often we try to transfer our perspective of ourselves onto God. We try to imagine that God is like us. God ain't like you. Thank God. God ain't like me. Thank God. He ain't like us. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. I don't know about you. Sometimes I go into things and I don't have a plan. This might hurt your opinion. You're a pastor. I don't know. Sometimes I go in, I don't have a plan. We're just going to trust God. Amen. I don't know how it's going to go. I don't have a crystal ball. I done sold them all in the garage sales. And sometimes you go into it and you don't have a plan. We get nervous when we don't. I like to have a plan. But sometimes we go into it, we don't. But don't you doubt for one minute that God has a plan. He does have a plan. You may not be able to see it. You may not be able to understand it. But indeed, God has a plan. We see the presence of His plan in verse 16. Look at verse 17. He says this, And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. And I like this. He says, I will get me honor upon Pharaoh, and upon all his hosts, and upon his chariots, and upon his horses. We see not only the presence of His plan, we see the purpose of it. And the purpose was not for the children of Israel. Now God had thoughts of peace towards the children of Israel. He had a plan for them distinctly. But He reminds them that He's doing things in the way He's doing them because there is a prevailing purpose in all of it. You know what it is? It's the glory of God. God does not make a lot of sense if His whole purpose is to keep us from getting nervous. I'm going to say that again. Because somewhere we missed one another. If God's whole goal is to keep us from getting nervous in life, then He's not very good at what He's doing. And if your interpretation of what God is doing in your life is that His sole responsibility is to always keep you happy, to always keep you calm, to to always keep you in in, in good spirit, to always keep you in a good mood, then what God's doing ain't going to make a lick of sense to you. When you begin to understand that the prevailing purpose of God is not for our comfort and it's not for our ease and it's not for our peace of mind, although all of those things are provided for because God's works and grace are manifold, but God's purpose is to bring glory unto Himself. So you're not always going to understand what you're going through. If it had been me, I mean, I'll tell you this, it would have been a lot less nerve-wracking if God had just built a bridge. But that wouldn't have gotten Him glory. And so he didn't. He parted the sea. Very often in your life, you're going to want him to build a bridge and he won't do it. Instead, he's going to part the sea. Why? So that he can get glory unto himself. I see the purpose of his plan. Look at verse 18. It says this, the Egyptians shall know. I like that, man. The Egyptians shall know 
that I am the Lord when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. I see not only the presence of his plan. God has a plan, so don't give up on him. I see the purpose of his plan. His plan is not centered around your ease and comfort of mind. It's centered around getting in glory. So it will make sense that at times we won't understand it. But then notice the prevailing of his plan. Notice the certainty with which God says that the Egyptians shall know. Not, well, I hope they figure it out. Not, well, I hope this works out the way that I anticipate. A lot of my plans sound like that. If all goes according to plan. Have you ever had a plan that all has gone according to? But you see, God's not like us. His plan is perfect. He knows what He's doing. He'll do it better than you could. If you, like me, had showed up at the Red Sea that day and God said, here's the problem, Toby. They're going to kill you. You can't cross this and you've got to get from this side to that side. Whatever plan I would have come up with would not have been as good as His. Whatever I would have decided would not have been as good as His. But His plan is always perfect. Keep walking. Keep trusting. You know why? Because His plan is right. It's better than your plan. It takes into account more than your plan. It's more effective than your plan. The more you yield unto Him, the better off you'll be because His plans are better than our plans. I would say keep walking because the plan of God. Look down at verse 19. Uh, We turn away sort of from God's uh, dialogue here with with Moses and the children of Israel and we move back to sort of the, the narrative, what's taking place in the text. Verse 19 says this, And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face, where they could see it, and stood behind them where they couldn't see it. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. I would say this, we need to keep walking because of the power of God. So what do you mean, preacher? Because God's got this. He can handle this. Whatever it is we're experiencing and facing, it is not beyond His reach, His capability. His arm is not shortened that it cannot save. There is nothing you have ever run up against that God lacks the power to deal with. Now there are times there are things that we have a desire for God to do and it's not the will of God. There's times we may have a desire that is not a holy desire. Something that that would not glorify God would not be for our good. There are some things that we uh, ask and receive not uh, because we ask amiss that we might consume it upon our own lust. But if there's something that God desires to do in our life, He does not lack the ability to do it. And we see that in three occasions here. Notice the three things, and there's many things God can do, but three things in our situation He has the ability to do. Number one, He has the ability to block the foe. I like what God does here. <laughs> he literally, He, he runs a, he runs a, a, a blocking, uh, you know, a trans, uh, he, he, he runs, you know what I'm saying. He literally runs this format. He said, I'm going to go out from in front of them and I'm going to get behind them. Now stop and think about this. Where would you rather have God? Would you rather have Him out in front where you can see Him, but on the other side of you and the enemy? Or would you rather have Him behind you where you can't always understand what He's doing, but you know that He's running the interference that you need in your life? I'll tell you this, whatever that we are facing, and this is distinctly true about the devil and his machinations in our life, what he wants to do to you and what he wants to do to me, God has the ability to thwart what the devil is trying to do in our lives. If I didn't believe that, I'd crawl into bed, pull the covers over my head and try to hide. But I believe that greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. And so I believe He has the ability to block whatever the devil's trying to do. And I'm not saying we shouldn't take Him seriously. If we let the devil, He can wreck us. 
But I'm saying if we choose to trust in the Lord and to live for Him, we don't have to fear the devil. The devil uh, needs to be fearing God. He is the one with whom he's going to have to do. I like what he did here. He made a division between them. He has the ability to block the foe. And then I like what it says in verse 20. It says it came uh, between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to thee, so that the one came not near the other all the night. You know, sometimes things look different depending on which side of God you're on. Uh, did you hear me? Things look awful different depending on which side of God you're on. You remember when you were without Christ in this world? You remember when you were without God and God looked like a foreboding cloud to you? You remember when you by faith put yourself in His hands and asked for salvation and asked Him to forgive you and got on the other side of Him and all of a sudden it all became daylight. You were, you were translated from the power of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. Things look different depending on which side of God you're on. If you're on the right side of God, you know what He has the power to do? To brighten our path. I, you know, I, when I was imagining this in my mind, I was thinking about how many times in the Bible there are night scenes, things that take place in the dark, in the dead of night. And in my mind, I was envisioning this and I was seeing them trudging through the darkness trying to make it to the other side. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost, he, he, had, to, he had to tweak, he had to change the contrast on my mind's imagination and remind me that though it was nighttime, it didn't look like it to them. From where there's that, man, there's basking in the light of the glory of God. You know that God has the ability to take that storm cloud that has moved in over your life and other people look at it and see nothing but darkness and misery and toil and turmoil and they don't understand why you have peace and they don't understand why you have joy. You know why? They're on the wrong side of the cloud. If they could be where you're at, they would find that that very thing that has brought turmoil into your life that is unpleasant, that you don't desire, that you don't like, that is not palatable to you, but has likewise brought a closer understanding, appreciation, and sense of the presence of God. Now all of a sudden, man, God has the ability to give us songs in the night. I'm saying this, you may need to just keep marching, keep walking, but you don't have to do it and be hanging your head down low. You can rejoice, you can have joy in the midst of this. Where does that joy come from? Well, it comes from the presence of the Lord. He has the ability to brighten the path. And then it says this, verse 21. Moses stretched forth, stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground. And the waters were a wall. Notice that. It says it again later in our text. The waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. I thought about this. The power of God. He has the ability to block the foe, to brighten the path, but He has the ability to barricade the way. The Bible, twice it says it. It was a wall. A wall is something that's very distinct. A wall implies that there's different things on either side of it and that division, that barrier is needful, is necessary, is productive both for the things outside and for the things inside. And I thought about what God's doing in the life of the children of Israel here. He's doing two things by doing it in this way. He could have built a bridge, but somebody would have fell off of it. He could have built them boats, but somebody's would have sunk. But instead, God divides the sea and gives them a dry path to walk across. What was He doing? I thought about two things here. One, He was guiding them on a solid path. The Bible says they were on dry ground. 
I know there's been people have tried throughout the years to explain away the plagues of Egypt, to explain away all the miracles of the Word of God. Uh, they do an awful lot of work to try to pretend there's not a God sitting in heaven, don't they? All kinds of foolish nonsense explanations. And I remember uh, my pastor used to talk about years ago, They uh, some smart aleck thought he had figured it out. He said, well, what it is, it's not the Red Sea, it's the Reed Sea. And he said there's a place in the Red Sea where it's sort of marshy and, and, and you know, that's probably where they crossed because he just couldn't bear to think there's a miracle working God. And my pastor said, what a miracle. What an amazing thing. How did God drown all of Pharaoh's army in ankle-deep water? No, we don't have to change what our Bible says. We just need to believe it, right? We just need to believe it. Smarter people than you and I believe the Bible. Smarter people than you or I believe the Bible. You say, what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying the world has this attitude that it ain't nothing but a bunch of backwoods, backwards, redneck hillbillies that actually believe the Word of God. No, smarter people than you or I believe the Bible. Isaac Newton was smarter than you or me. Best thing I can do with an apple is eat it. He figured out gravity. I don't even know what that means or how to explain it. And what I'm saying is this. You'll always have these smart elects that say, well, you know, smart people don't believe the Word of God. Uh, no, the smartest people do. They do. And so I believe you went across upon dry ground. And that means this. God, God had them walking on the best path in that area. Whenever the Egyptians are coming through, the Bible says He drove off their chariot wheels and they drove heavy into the ground. That implies this, that back where they were at, it had become muddy. Before he had parted the Red Sea, it was obviously wet. And then I would say this, if it's like most places, most bodies of water, probably the banks, the shores on either side would have been muddy too. In other words, where God had them walking was the best, safest place they could be walking. Oftentimes we say, well, God, why won't you let me go this direction, go that direction? Why is it that you won't give me more options and more choices? Well, why is it that you won't give me more guidance and, and more wisdom? And here's what God's doing. He's fencing us in because He knows how we are. He knows we'd wander. And instead, He's walling us in to keep us in to where we need to be. He was guiding them on a solid path. But then I would note this. Every wall is about both what's on one side and what's on the other. He was also guarding them from surrounding perils. As I said, had he built a bridge, somebody would have fell off and drowned. <laughs> Two and a half million people, somebody would have fell off and drowned. But the way God did it was the safest way. He was blocking out those things that would have been dangerous to them. I know you and I don't like being hemmed in. I don't. I don't like feeling as though I'm going only one direction and I don't even understand that one. But sometimes in our life, we have to trust that God knows what is best for us. And He's protecting us from things in our life that we can't even see. The most dangerous things in that water were things they could not even see. But God was protecting them from them. By the way, you know what He was also protecting them from? Uh, from the Egyptians doing an end around and coming off and cutting them off in front of them. By doing that, you know what He was doing? He was keeping the enemy from gaining an advantage. Often in our life when God walls us in, He's keeping the devil from getting an advantage in our life. We just need to go ahead and trust Him. Because of the power of God, we need to keep walking. Not only that, because of the presence of God. I like this. Look at verse number 23. It says, And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. Now notice carefully the language here. And it came to pass that in the morning watch, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians. Let's do a little spatial 
project here. You ready? Here is where the pillar of fire and pillar of cloud is. Here's the children of Israel. Here's the Egyptians behind them. God moves the pillar of cloud to between the Egyptians uh, over here and the Israelites right here. And then the Bible says this. God looked through that pillar of cloud, through that pillar of fire at the Egyptians. You know what that tells me? It tells me right where God was. You know where God was? He was where His people were. Uh, I notice, number one, it's a close presence. He never left His people. He went behind them. They couldn't see Him, but He could always see them. Sometimes in your life, you won't be able to discern what God's doing. You won't be able to understand what God is doing in, in, in your in your day-to-day and, and in the overall plan for your life. But don't you think for one moment He's forsaken you? We have the very Word of God that He'll never leave us and He'll never forsake us. It was a close presence. Verse 25 says this, it took off, God took off the chariot wheels, that they drave them heavily. So the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. It was a conquering presence. Uh, they did not say, let's run from uh, the Israelites because the Israelites are so tough. They said, we better run from the Israelites because God is fighting for them. In other words, God had the ability to prevail in this situation. And I would say in your life and mine, in these moments where we feel discouraged, disheartened, disoriented, we don't know what to do, and we just keep walking, we can trust that when the moment comes that God needs to step in and prevail, He will indeed do it. And then look at verse 26. It says this, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. This is the first command that God gives on the other side of the Red Sea. So God gave them the command they needed when they set out. And then when the time came that something changed, God gave Moses the commandment to release the Red Sea and to drown the Egyptians. I'd say this, His presence is a counseling presence. When you need new orders, God will give you new orders. I don't like that sometimes. Sometimes I'd appreciate if God sometimes checked in and made sure I'm still cool with everything. But unfortunately, I don't get to dictate who God is and how God is. And so God gives an order and we're expected to follow that order. Keep marching. But now listen, when the time comes that something's needed of you, you rest assured God doesn't whisper, stumble, or stutter. He has the ability to speak clearly to you in that moment. Very often a great deal of anxiety arises in our life in trying to get God to speak sooner. We want a shortcut. We want to microwave the will of God and it to come out hot and fresh and ready to go. We want God to speak when we want Him to speak. And Sometimes it's hard to wait on God, but you rest assured when the time comes He needs to speak and you need to hear, He will make His heart and voice clear. I'd say we need to keep walking because of the presence of God. Look down at verse number 27. We need to keep walking because of the promises of God. Man, we've got the promises of God in our life. It says in verse 27, Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared. Now there are three statements made here in rapid succession in verses 27 through verse number 30. And all of them are the fulfillment of certain promises that God made. The first one we read there is mentioned back in verse 13. Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will show to you today. He had told Moses a little earlier, they're going to pass through the Red Sea. He didn't say they're going to go into the Red Sea. He didn't say they're going to go up to the Red Sea. He said they're going to go through the Red Sea. What was the promise of God concerning the first is that the crisis would pass. 
One of the things that's difficult is we think if we sign up to being faithful to God in the midst of our trials, that all we're ever going to have is trials. But God is more wise than to give us a life of nothing but trials. Trials are sometimes productive, sometimes they're not. And so we don't need to think that just because we say, Lord, I'll trust you in the midst of the trial, that God's going to say, all right, now you're never coming out of it. Most of the things in life, you'll get on the other side of. There can be things we carry all the way to the grave. But you and I understand that most of those things are few and far between. Most of the things we experience, they will pass. The crisis would pass. They had God's promise of it. And you have the promise that what you're struggling with will not always be the case. Now somebody's going to say, oh preacher, you said that to the wrong person. You don't know what I'm going through. I'll deal with what I'm battling the rest of my life. Uh, let me correct you, the rest of this life. Because one of these days, man, heaven's going to fix all of it. All of it. The crisis would pass. Not only that, look at verse 27, the end of it, it says the Egyptians fled against it. I bet they did. I would too. And the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the hosts of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. Can I just, can I pause for just a second? It's just, it's just quarter after ten. All right. Don't look at the clock. It, and can I just say we have a beautiful type here of what uh, the Lord Jesus and, and God in His providence is going to do to the Antichrist during the tribulation period. Whenever He's pursuing hard after the Jews in persecution and viciousness and He thinks He's winning and He's going to drive the chariot of that world empire, of that global uh, superpower right into the heart of the valley of Megiddo and then all of a sudden the clouds are going to part. The Lord Jesus is going to set His foot on the Mount of Olives and all of a sudden the armies of heaven will sweep in like the, like the walls of that sea. <laughs> The devil will have thought he had them where he wanted them and never even known that God had the devil right where he wanted him. Hey, listen, you know what we have a promise of? This was said back in verse 13. It says the Egyptians, back in verse 13, this is what God said, the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. The enemy will perish. There's coming a day we're going to have rest. Uh, rest. Now rest is something you learn a little bit more about first off after you have kids but particularly then even after that as you grow older in life, there, rest is a precious thing. You know what rest means? And this is why you don't have rest after you have kids anymore. Rest is to be able to recline in perfect composure knowing nothing can disrupt your respite. The moment you have children, you never feel that again. Because at any moment, they could show up and wreck your day. Rest. You know what rest means? It means to be able to sit back and know, sit back and know that the enemy, I'm not calling your kids your enemy if you want to, but sit back and know the enemy has been defeated. The enemy will perish one day. And then notice verse number 29. <laughs> About to get in trouble, ain't we, Ken? Verse 29 says this, but the children of Israel walked upon the dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Thus, I love this man, thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. You know what the promises were? All the way back in verse 14, here's what Moses said. The Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. What were the promises? Well, Moses said, uh, stand still, see the salvation of the Lord. God had said, you're going to not come to the Red Sea, you're going to go through the Red Sea. 
And that's exactly what happened in verse 27. Not only that, He promised them that the Egyptians that they had seen, they would see again no more forever. Their enemy would perish. And that happened in verse number 27 and 28. And then He promised this in verse 14. The Lord shall fight for you. Ye shall hold your peace. You know what He promised? You're going to win today. You're going to win today. God's people will prevail. This thing you're going through can't beat you. You can beat yourself. But this thing you're going through, if you'll trust God, it's not bigger than God. The great danger is that you're going to quit trusting Him. That you're going to quit serving Him. That you're going to quit walking with Him. And the moment you do that, the victory is no longer His or yours. The victory is the devil's. The great danger is not that God's going to give out. It's that you're going to give up. But if you'll trust Him, then you will prevail through it. I would say because of the promises of God, and then finally, and I'm done, look at verse 31. It's just very short. Look what it says. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and His servant Moses. Why, preacher, should I keep going? It'd be so easy to give up. I'm discouraged, disheartened. I don't understand what's going on in my life. It would be so easy to just give up. Don't give up. Please, please don't give up. Don't give up because of the plan of God. God has a plan. Trust His plan. Don't give up because of the power of God. God has power enough to deal with whatever we're facing. Don't give up because of the presence of God. Don't give up on God. He ain't gave up on you. He ain't left you. He's still walking with you. Don't, don't give up because of the promises of God. Because His promises are yea and amen. But I'd say this, don't give up because of the perfecting of God. So what do you mean, preacher? how He's developing you. In other words, God brought you along this path of what you're facing uh, that He might develop in you characteristics, qualities, more like the mind and personality of Christ. What do we see here in verse 31? Just, I mean, it's like a rapid fire. It just says it one right after the other. What had God developed? Number one, God had developed in them a scriptural fear. It says the people feared the Lord. Now that word fear does not mean terror. It means reverence. In other words, they had learned to take God serious. <laughs> you know, some of us don't take God seriously. But oftentimes we go through these valleys, through these battles, through these Red Sea experiences, times when there's real danger in our life. And we learn to take God seriously. You know why? Because we're dealing with serious things. I'll tell you this, there probably wasn't a lot of joking and laughing going on as they marched through the sea. There was probably a lot of joy at God delivering them. Uh, but there was probably not a lot of, of, of levity and joking. You know why? Because it's hard to joke when you've got a million tons of water that you think could come crashing in any moment. I bet they just uh, they just prayed and trusted God. And I don't know, probably sang out of the Red Book, right? Something like that. I'm saying this, serious things we face teach us to take God seriously. Not not sourly, but seriously. It, it developed in them a scriptural fear. Number two, it developed in them a strength in faith. It says they believe the Lord. Man, it's easy to not believe God when you don't need anything from Him. It's easy to not trust Him when you think you've got control over all of it. But man, you get in a place in life where you're you're mystified and lost and discouraged and disheartened and you can't figure it out. You, you're going to have to learn how to trust God. Just have the strength to keep going. And then notice what it says. It says not only did they believe the Lord, but also it says His servant Moses. That's interesting. You know, the Bible teaches us that Moses was a type of Jesus Christ. 
that as Moses was a prophet unto the children of Israel, that God would raise up a prophet like unto Moses, and that that was the Lord Jesus Christ. That Moses was the builder of the house of Israel in the sense of, of them as a people, as a, as a nation, that the Lord Jesus would be the builder of the New Testament church, that he would, he would preside over the household of faith through the grace of God. So there is a distinct similarity between these two. And here's what they learned. They learned to take God seriously. They learned to trust God. And they learned to trust God's man. Well, who's the man of God to us? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what God developed in them? A sharpened focus. They came out of the other side of that and they said, well, I guess Moses does know what he's doing. You know, you come out of the other side of this thing you're facing. You know what it should? You ought to come out with the attitude. You know, I guess God does know what he's doing. I guess I can trust the Lord Jesus. It ought to get our focus on Him and off of ourselves. So here's what I ask of you. Just keep going. Just don't give up. Don't give up. Just keep trusting God. Keep doing right. Keep living right. Keep going to church. Keep reading your Bible. Keep praying. I know there's times that we wish it was in our prayer life, in our devotional life. There's times that we struggle. But I'm saying don't give up on God. He ain't gave up on you. His plan is perfect. What He's doing in your life is right. It is correct. It is beneficial. But the very thing that can shortcut and hamstring it all is if you give up and quit serving Him. If you turn back, go back to Egypt in its bondage. If you sit down and give up and just wait for the waters to come crashing in. No, just keep walking. Keep trusting Him. And you'll find that if you'll be faithful to Him, He is always faithful to us. Let's bow together as a musician comes to play. The altar is open this morning. I wonder if there's some of us that just need to make our mind up that we're going to keep going. No matter what we're facing, no matter what we're struggling with, no matter what obstacles lie in our way, we need to just, we need to steal our nerve, we need to straighten our back, and we need to say, I'm not much, but I refuse to give up on God. I don't have an answer, but I'm willing to wait for His. I don't have a solution, but I know He does, and I'm not going to give up on Him. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus.